Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I'm delighted to bring you Dominique Salerno. Dominique is one of our most treasured yoga assets in Melbourne. She is one of our most senior teachers and has probably trained the yoga teacher that teaches your class. Not only is Dominique one of my dear friends, she was my first yoga teacher when I studied at the Yoga Academy, the Australian Yoga Academy, and she's also been a long-term student of the practice of pranayama. In today's episode, we talk about Dominique's journey through yoga and some of the big moments in her life where the practice of yoga and the practice of pranayama has not only supported her, but has taken her deeper into her own practice. And some of the really important aspects about the breath that we probably never think of. It's a beautiful conversation. I think you're going to love it. Come and join us. Hi, Dominique. Hi, Karina. How are you? I'm really good. We're finally doing this. I know. It's taken us a hot minute to get our proverbial ducks in a row. But um, yeah. here we are. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for asking. My absolute pleasure. So Dominic and I have been just chipping away at a conversation over a long time about what it might mean to have Dominic come on the podcast and for us to have a long, languid conversation about all the things. And uh, for those of you that have not met Dominique, Dominique is one of our most seasoned, senior, experienced yoga teachers in Victoria. <laughs> and um, I mean, we're in an age now where there are an abundance of yoga teachers, but there's not so many teachers that have been around for a long time. And I think it's really important that we lean on those teachers that have got the wisdom that have been here before us. And I can't think of anyone I'd rather have a conversation with today about yoga, but also pranayama today than you. So thank you. Thank you. And by seasoned, you mean very salty on occasion, then I will take that. <laughs> It's good to be salty on occasion. It is. It is good to be yes. salty on occasion. But I, I hear what you're saying and it's um, it was a few years ago where a, um, a, a mutual friend and colleague of ours referred to me as, um, as, as an elder. I sort of gave her some dirty side eye, but I'm leaning into that now. You know, it's, it's been nearly, nearly 25 years, so it is what it is. And um, it's also... It's also nice to actually give myself permission to to settle into that and uh, and uh, and and own it. So, absolutely. A lot of people probably don't even know how you got into yoga. I'm not even sure that I know the full story. I've heard little bits and pieces over the years. You and I have got a really nice long history of being teacher student and colleagues and. Um, having that beautiful team environment and now really good friends. And I was wondering if we could start with um, hearing your story about how yoga found you or how you found yoga and what the journey has been. Hey, um, well, I, I didn't seek it out. I, I, I feel like it, uh, it found me um, in 1995 when I was at uni. Um, and from the from the minute I did my first class, I fell in love with it. Um, it didn't become um, a sort of regular, sincere fixture in my life until a couple of years later, once I'd finished uni. Um, and the more I did it, the more I saw and felt 
benefits, uh, the more in love with it um, I became. Um, yeah, and then when uh, my husband Anthony and I started the Blue Angel Centre for Wellbeing back in 2000 um, is where I, um, I really started um, having a daily practice with our in-house teacher um, they're an amazing human being who um, took that sort of student-teacher relationship very seriously, as did I, so it was a daily undertaking. Um, and uh, so I suppose really from, from 2000 is when I stepped into that, uh, that teaching um, space and, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, an interesting, colourful journey. I'm not sure how much you want me to elaborate on that but um you know as I said so I started practicing in 95 started teaching uh in 2000 and uh and here we are in 2023 and it's uh it's been an, an incredible rewarding um journey mm. and the Blue Angel Centre was a real smorgasbord of different things wasn't it from what I've heard you say before what what was going on at that time well, look, Anthony and I were in our really early 20s, I think we were 22, 23, um, and had no idea uh, what we were doing. <laughs> we still have no idea what we're doing. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but seriously, we, we had no idea what we were doing. We just knew we wanted to be in that space. Um, and so we, as we always do, we, we threw everything that we had at it, sold our house, put every cent that we have to our names into this space and used the first um, two or three years as a bit of a proving ground to sort of try a lot of different things until we found our lane. Um, I was really lucky in that I, I feel like my I found my lane really quickly. There were lots of other things that we, you know, tried our, our hands at um, and, you uh, yeah, so it was it, the Blue Angel Centre was a, a really great, let's let's call it a broad net that we cast to give ourselves um, uh, to give ourselves a taste of uh, of everything out there and, and uh, see see where we landed. And the Australian Yoga Academy just naturally was birthed from that first yeah. place. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, mm. And where was the first yoga academy? Because there's been a few. <laughs> there have been a few. Um, well, the first one really was, uh, I suppose, in that Blue Angel Centre space in St Kilda. Um, from there, the the first sort of uh, standalone uh, AYA was in Monterna. Uh, from Monterna, we then uh, established a space in Glen Waverley. Um, from Glen Waverley, we um, spread out uh, to Bentley and St Kilda. Um, oh, no, not St Kilda, sorry, Bentley and then Paran. Wow. Um, from Paran we uh, then spread our tentacles out to um, Northcote and Seddon, um, Richmond and Abbotsford and, uh, oh, jeez. It's a lot. Yeah. 
<laughs> There's a lot of expanding and contracting going on at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot. But, you know, once my son Emerson arrived, uh, I figured out really quickly that um, that we needed to consolidate. And so it was it was great that we had um, the lovely Jen at the North Hit Space step in and uh, and take over that. Um, yeah. So it's now Shining Light Yoga and uh, Mark uh, Mark out at um, Seddon step in and, and take over the reins there. So we were able to consolidate, which was really important. Yes, and I, I bet so many people listening to this or watching this came through those training programs, came through the Australian Yoga Academy. It's just been an epicenter of really good quality yoga teachers being released and gifted to the wider community, many of which are probably now living interstate or overseas. And yeah, it's um, it's been such a beautiful mainstay, I think, of the yoga community in Melbourne. Um, but I feel like some of the things that I learned when I was there, so I was a student there from the 2010-2011 cohort, which is a little while ago now. Some of the things that I loved the most when I was a student, of course, the practice, but I think that I think the the lecture that I loved the most was actually when you were speaking of Ayurveda and the breath practices and all the things that came with that. It just lit something up for me. And I'm not sure if that was a signpost for me as well to keep steering me towards Chinese medicine, because another long term conversation that Dominique and I have is the beautiful interweavings of the Ayurvedic medicine and the traditional Chinese medicine and what they see similarly, what they see differently. And we have, you know, long conversations in the car or on the phone about our passions. And there's just so much more breadth to yoga than just the postures, right? And I think that was such a profound offering there because it it helped me to understand that the postures are just the tip of the iceberg and there is so much depth to the medicine of yoga and the medicine of Chinese medicine that um, only continues to be uncovered as you step onto the path fully and go deep within yourself, but also with the medicine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I, I think, look, uh, with us, arsena is, is really relevant uh, to, to my life and will continue to be so, um, not not because I'm at this stage of my life and practice looking to sort of acquire um, uh, extreme shapes, but I'm I'm now more interested in sort of maintaining my mobility, my strength, um, my uh, mental <laughs> mental coherence um, into into old age. So it's become much more um, about that for me. Um, but as I said, um, arsenal is is important. It's relevant for everyone today more than ever. But mm. pranayama and Ayurveda uh, is uh, is really where um, where my heart and my interests uh, are primarily um, right now. And so my, my teaching has shifted and changed a lot with that focus. Um, and so now I see what I do as uh, as much much more aligned with um, with yoga therapy or yoga chikitsa. So a lot of asana, but also looking at diet and lifestyle in accordance with 
the Ayurvedic principle of uh, something called Ritucharya, which is following the uh, the wheel of the year, how how the energies um, shift um, throughout the year, and then of course the the pranayama. So I see those those three uh, those three um, those three facets um, of of practice to be um, really important. I think asana without a correct understanding of the breath, um, you're you're missing out on a lot of potential there. Um, you know, for me, when I really sort of started to understand what is this ujjayi breathing and when the pranayama started to become more of a feature of my everyday practice, the asana took on a whole new dimension. Yeah. Um, you know, likewise, that uh, seasonal alignment and being really careful with um, uh, with what I was feeding myself in in every uh, conceivable way. Also, you know, the three those three things feed into one another, and um, yeah, make for make for a truly. I hate to use the word because it's you know it doesn't mean anything anymore, but it makes for a truly holistic. Yeah. Oh, what a shame that that word has lost some of its beauty. Yeah. I guess when we, hear, we when we hear things repeated over and over, they do lose a little bit of their shine. Mm. Um, there's such a benefit to yoga being so um, accessible and easily found in society. Like I think about I think about how difficult it is to find a good qigong teacher, and I think about there's a yoga studio almost on every corner, like especially in Melbourne where we're absolutely spoilt for choice with yoga. And one of the sub benefits of that, I think, is the breath work that you are exposed to when you step onto the mat and you start a yogic journey. To, to get a grasp of that through the Chinese medicine path, I think you really do need to have exposure to someone who's got some sort of Taoist training or some kind of Qigong or martial arts training, which isn't that common. Whereas there's so much yoga that there's so much more uh, opportunity for people to at least have heard the word Ujjayi or at least have practiced Nadi Shodhana. And in Chinese medicine, there's this idea and there's probably an equivalent in Ayurveda that your daily, sometimes I call it a daily per diem for people because <laughs> I often like to equate the energy that you have to spend with money and people kind of get that a little bit more, but you've got this sort of prenatal trust fund energy and you have this daily energy and the daily energy your daily chi is said to be made from the food that you eat and the air that you breathe and then obviously your body's capacity to metabolize that and turn that into your fuel source and so it's absolutely foundational that you breathe well that you breathe good quality air and that your lungs are healthy and I don't think that that can be overstated. What does what does Ayurveda have to say about that? Is there something in Ayurveda around a like a daily energy that comes from the breath? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you and I have had this conversation many times, um, Karina, that um, Ayurveda and TCM share a common ancestor somewhere down the line. Um, so there are there are lots of um, lots of beautiful. Um, uh, mutual principles and, and overlaps between the two. Um, 
Now, just before I say what I'm going to say, let me just um, preface it by, um, I suppose, reminding myself and anyone who's listening that um, I, I offer um, my perspective on Ayurveda they're, they're, and yoga and pranayama. All I'm offering is a perspective based on my relationship and my history with those disciplines. Um, and I, I don't think anyone's in a position where they can sort of uh, lay claim to being um, uh, an authority. Yeah, or the, the ultimate authority or, you know, the alpha and, and omega of it. So, you know, just having having said that, my uh, my perspective um, and, and what I've learned from my amazing teachers is that we do, uh, we do um, uh, incarnate with like a, a pranic factory setting. <laughs> um, uh, but we also receive a daily um, pranic budget, if you like, that we can um, invest really carefully in a sort of long-term deposit type way um, uh, to, to help bolster us mentally, physically, emotionally in the long term. And that could ultimately, you know, if you if you took pranayama and yoga practice to um to its its ultimate um uh its its ultimate uh, aim, um that pranayama practice can be leading you towards uh liberation. Amazing. Or you could be what I call a civilian, a normal householder, um, your average person who's just looking to um, looking to to maintain more stability and ease. Um, and just sort of circling back to your original question, um, we receive that daily pranic um, allotment, um, and what we do with it is really important. Um, uh, there are two main ways that we can um, cultivate prana. One is through the breath, um, which is a, a quite an instant result, um, and the other is through our microbiome, so through our gastrointestinal tract. Ultimately, um, prana is is very very subtle. And it's sort of, it's not quite physical uh, and it's not quite completely subtle. So on, on, the, on the level of our gross physiology, uh, one, um, one function where you can see prana at work is in the cellular metabolism where the, the oxygen that we breathe in combines with the glucose from the food that we eat to create that foundational unit of energy, ATP. Um, yeah. So that, that's one one way in our physiology where we can see, you know, prana prana working and manifesting. Um, uh, but but yeah, so the way that we breathe is one way that is um, really effective at um, cultivating that relationship with prana, but then also, uh, as I said, our food, our diet. So it sounds like the TCM and the Ayurveda slash pranayama um, perspectives are really well aligned. They really are. I just love hearing the way you will talk about things that you've studied a little bit more because 
it's a language that I understand. It's just beautiful to hear it in different words and different terminologies. And I love that idea of like literally seeing the ATP that's created from these two kind of crude forms that we create energy in our bodies ourselves. And when you were on your yogic journey, like at what point did you find a teacher that really helped you to learn more about the actual pranayama aspect of the practice? That's easy. That's super easy. So back in uh, 2006, I met my uh, my pranayam um, guru. I don't use that word guru uh, very often or very lightly um, at all. Uh, an amazing human being by the name of Sri Om Prakash Tawari. Tawari is the head of the Kuvalya Dharma Institute in Lonavala, and um, and he was the uh, the person that really sort of first um, introduced me to pranayama. He's also one of my Ayurveda teachers because uh, you you can't really practice pranayama without also seeing it through that Ayurvedic lens. Um, uh, yeah, so. Mm. And do you remember any like light bulb moments that you had where you just went, whoa, this is going to change everything for me? And um, w- would they be things that you might share? Because I can see that you do have some. I can see your face. <laughs> uh, well, pranayam uh, um, for, for me has um, it's, it's presented itself to me um, uh, always, um, always at a crossroads or in times of crisis and when I first discovered it it was the it was the catalyst for uh, what felt like crisis at the time but ultimately was um, was was a wonderful thing um, so when I first started delving really deeply into the pranayam I was also uh, I was also um, really deepening my my asana practice, which is uh, an Ashtanga-based practice, which is is quite strong. <laughs> um, and so the, the combination was this double whammy that um, uh, ultimately caused me to implode my life a little bit. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was entirely necessary. Um, and then... I went through a period where my focus shifted um, and um, my allegiance was more to my business and the, the business that that uh, my husband and I had um, created because um, it became quite a... Um, quite quite big <laughs> uh, it was a bit of a juggernaut and it sort of took on a life of its own so I made the fatal error that uh, I think a lot of us do it of um, focusing less on my practice if I'm honest and putting all of my focus and my energy into into the business of yoga rather than the practice of yoga um, uh, which then uh, you know ultimately led me to another crisis um, which I was just coming out the other end of when uh, when COVID hit, um, 
Uh, so anyway, long story short, um, it was it was through the a, a, a personal crisis combined with the uh, the effects of of COVID uh, on myself personally and uh, the world around me that sort of was a, a secondary crucible or crisis that um, that really led me hammer and tong back into the arms of, of Pranayam. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that um, that it was actually a, a beautiful a beautiful thing and I feel like um, just like it did in my first serious uh, um, interaction and and um, and time with it, um, just like that first time, it, it's led me through a doorway into uh, into something really beautiful. So, yeah, and I'm just I'm just really passionate about um, about communicating that um, and sharing that with people, be- and and to make sure that. Uh, that that is always at the forefront of where I'm putting my energy because uh, if I am really consistent with sharing this information, I find that it helps to keep my practice on track. Mm. And so now instead of um, uh, instead of um, being caught up and focused in the business of yoga, it really is the practice that's actually mm. aligning with I'm with how I'm teaching um and yeah it's a good thing wow thank you for sharing that it sounds like I think well what I'm hearing in what you're saying is that these practices in yoga and particularly pranayama they're not they're not just tasks they're not just daily ticks tick boxes they're actually they're actually an enormous um entity of sorts that you connect with and you cultivate a direct personal relationship with that will then carry you through the ups and downs of your physical existence and the the warp and the weave of the human <laughs> drama <laughs> of this life and look if you think about it <clears throat> there's there's nothing there's there's not much more of an intimate relationship that we have uh than with our breath um and uh it it's easy to sort of hide from yourself in an asana practice and become distracted with um and in the yoga sutras patanjali sort of warns warns of these um these these obstacles um and these traps you can uh use asana as a crutch and uh and sort of hide behind it but you can't do that with pranayama um let me say that pranayama is so so much more than breathing it really is um but our breath is our most direct link to that experience and to that relationship um and there's there's no hiding um in the the paraphernalia and the costumes um uh um and the the cosplay of being a yogi or a yoga teacher it's just you and your breath and your bullshit Mm. Um, so it's it's it truly is transformative. I can say that uh, <clears throat> I can say that it's um it's a transformative uh, force in my life. Um, and uh, and 
yeah and I can also sort of I can also understand why it doesn't have the popularity of Arsenal it doesn't it's 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 not as sexy and um uh it 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 doesn't afford us the um the same uh nooks and crannies to hide out in um it's where the rubber meets the road in our practice um uh luminaries like uh BKS Iyengar and many other teachers who I really respect um consider pranayam to be uh the bridge between those lower uh more physical not not you know lower lower but the the more physical yes yeah. <laughs> the more the more sort of physical expressions of yoga practice um it's the pranayam that actually brings you up into um into the higher more subtle more transformative rungs of yoga um yeah. but that's not for everyone you know some people are happy happy uh you know just with an an arsenal practice that's awesome um yeah. 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 Well, I don't think you can do it. You can't do an asana practice without being moved into your breath. It's not possible. But I will say for myself, the moments of absolute quiet and stillness and clarity and blissful love that come from my center seem to be more easily accessed when I'm doing breath work than anything physical, I will say that. And I'm, I'm at that point in my own practice where the meditative work and the breath work feels like it has more value for me than the postures on the mat, even though I know they both have their place um, because of what I feel like I gain. And that is tranquility and calm and calm. If I can, if I can stay close to my calm center, then to me, that is a beautiful life. And I did one of Dominique's um, beautiful offerings. I can't remember if it was through, I don't think it was through one of the lockdowns, but it wasn't too far after that. And Dominique was offering some great online sessions. And I think you might still do that. Yeah, and I, I, remarked, still, I, yeah. I, remem I remember when you were doing it, it was actually through one of the lockdowns. Okay, um, it was. Uh, one, of, one of the amazing things that did sort of result from the great unpleasantness of the last few years is that, uh, that I've, I've built a really beautiful live stream um, community and Pranayam lends itself really well to live stream. Who, who would have thought it? Um, mm. So, yeah, it was, it was in one of those yes and it was the first time in a really long time that i had that feeling of absolute deep stillness nothing and i hadn't been in that place for so long and it can be difficult to get yourself there on your own and the lockdown was really tricky to figure out well, how do i get to my teachers or how do i even work out for people that were going to gyms and it was such a gift and such a reminder so yeah if that's something that people are listening if you're listening to this and you're thinking wow i've never touched base with my calm center i don't even know if i have one pranayama might be a tool that's helpful for you yeah, yeah. and look um for for me I am not that person 
who uh, who had a, a great relationship with meditation prior to finding pranayama. And so many people, um, I'm sure, will relate to this. Um, if I sit down and sort of just expect myself to connect with that calm center, all I ultimately end up connecting with is um, is anxiety. Um, and I think again, post COVID, with so much uh, so much dysfunction in people's nervous system, sort of wholesale, I think that's probably going to be more true today than ever. Um, but what uh, pranayama does is offer us an alternative entry point to that same space um and uh and and breath breath is so amazing because it's it's a physical function obviously there are physical sensations um but it's also the one aspect of our uh autonomic nervous system functioning that we do have conscious control over so on the one hand it's it's a primary primordial primeval um primary physical uh act but it also can be if we choose to uh to interact with it in this way it also can be just as uh psychological and mental as it is physical and when those two uh when those two spheres come together it automatically leads you into that space of meditation so one of the one of the things I like to remind people of um, who would love to meditate, we know meditation is so uh, so valuable. Whether you are a yogic seeker or just someone wanting to live more, uh, live well, yeah, meditation is awesome. But um, not everyone can access it uh, in that traditional way. So, you know, pranayama, um, is, is certainly one way for us to start getting all the benefits of meditation um, and accessing it in a way that is perhaps less in anxiety uh, if you think yes. yeah. yeah, agree 100%. And to be honest, that is my meditation practice. It's a breathwork practice that I just happen to do when I'm sitting in a comfortable seat that works for my body. <laughs> um, what are some of the things that you observe in people that come to class? Because you've got such a finely tuned eye. What are some of the common things that you would notice about the way that people breathe when their breath is so completely out of their awareness? And what are some of the things that you might offer just as a really introductory place for people to start bringing more awareness to their breathing? So that's a beautiful, loaded question. Um, yeah. I feel like we can take it any way you like. Yeah, <laughs> we could do a whole podcast just on that question. But um, <clears throat> I, I suppose um, what I, what I see a lot of um, is people just completely disconnected from their breath, um, uh, and and so um, that might manifest as. Uh, as mouth breathing or uh, sort of a, an, an apnea, a sort of lack in, in steady breath rhythm. Um, it could be that people are holding uh, their breath um, or breathing really shallowly. 
um, or perhaps they are um, breathing in a pattern and and uh, I find it useful to sort of look look at things as as uh, uh, as they manifest in 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 patterns, um, they might be breathing in a pattern or in a way where it's primarily up in the chest and sort of very high thoracic clavicular um, breathing. Um, so there's lots of different ways that it can show up. Um, uh, ultimately, sort of when you when you really get in there, everyone's pattern is unique. Those are just some of the the things that you might encounter, um, yeah. and. The this was this was one of the lessons that my first ever yoga teacher uh, taught me. Um, the the only catalyst, the ultimate catalyst, is consciousness. So mm. regardless of the pattern that you're trying to uh, you're trying to understand, or where you're trying to get in and interfere with that pattern, consciousness is always the first uh, the first step. So just getting people aware of their breathing um, is wonderful. Now, uh, it just so happens that um, the main the main avenue that most yoga teachers have, and this is also true uh, for me um, and maybe for you, the primary um, vehicle that I have to uh, invite them to become more conscious of their breath is in an asana class. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the most useful uh, useful thing to talk about because probably the people that are listening to this uh, are yoga teachers or asana teachers maybe. Um, and so that's where the ujjayi comes in. Hmm. Um, and as my, my long-time students know uh, my opinion on ujjayi, ujjayi is everything. Like it, 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 it really is. I've got the tote bag. Uh, that says so to prove it. Thank you, Flip Shelton. Um, <laughs> uh, but but really, sort of getting students entrenched in that Ujjayi breath is is crucial. Um, and it it used to really irk me when um, I'd be in, in uh, other teachers' classes and I'd hear sort of throwaway cues at the beginning of the class, like and tap into your Ujjayi if it's in your practice, and then not sort of mention it again, sort of just abdicate all yeah. responsibility. It's like if you if you know it, then do it. Otherwise, I'm not going to I'm not going to even offer you a, a way to uh, to access it. So. <clears throat> Um, I think for uh, yoga teachers and yoga students, developing that first sort of uh, connection with the ujjayi breath is really important because it's actually a lot of people ask me what's the difference between breath work and pranayama. Um, and one of the things that, that makes the difference is ujjayi. Um, uh, ujjayi is where breath work even if it's even if it's relatively conscious um uh, deliberate contemporary breath work like box breathing is great but it becomes pranayam when we introduce the dimension of the ujjayi breath uh, so I, I think i'm waffling now Karina, no this is great that's great <laughs> something ujjayi. that yeah some, there's two things I'd love to speak to to that. One thing that I've noticed a lot now that I'm doing a lot more acupuncture is, and this can be felt in the pulses, is how often people's diaphragms are blocked. 
there's a certain certain feeling you'll get in the pulse when someone's got a diaphragmatic blockage. And I'll usually confirm that by asking them, how far down toward your pubic bone do you feel like you can get your breath? And they usually kind of point to their throat or their chest. And it's 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 sort of as if there's like a just a, a board, it's just well, and I think that that mostly gets blocked from stresses and nervous system dysregulation and um, emotions that haven't actually been able to be moved through the body and the body just goes clank. And there's some beautiful acupuncture points that just open it up. But of course, it's only, it's only going to stay open until it closes again. But it's, we could probably do a whole podcast on the diaphragm as well, <laughs> or the diaphragms, we'll do a series. That's something that I have found fascinating how often that area of the body isn't in flow, like the prana or the chi just is not moving well from the chest cavity to the abdominal cavity. And something else I wanted to reflect on is, and maybe you could guide us through it at the end of the session. Maybe you could, you can, you can decide what you might want to do, but the, the reset breath, the reset breath that you shared with the group that we were on retreat with earlier this year in 2023, has been profound as something to offer my patients on the table before I leave the room, particularly if they have been anxious or if they don't seem settled um, or they don't really have a connection with their breath or they've, they've been, you know, they've been quite stirred up in the session with things that have arisen to guide them through a couple of rounds of that reset breath and then invite them to do as many rounds as they want to do as I leave the room and and they can kind of let their breath find their own rhythm. That has been ace as a tool for people to have in their toolkit for life. So that one's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's really important. Um, and uh, I mentioned earlier about the sort of the 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 second the second coming of my sort of pranayama. Um, trajectory being sort of rooted in um in uh some some personal um struggle and um one of this one of the signposts that uh that i was um in some strife was um uh some really sort of clear signaling um from my body and and feedback from those uh, nearest to me um that you know something something was off and and that actually got me um studying and learning more about polyvagal theory um and it was it was through that uh deep dive into um into polyvagal theory that i then discovered these reset techniques now that reset breath is also called the physiological sigh um the amazing uh, andrew huberman uh, is uh, i think he he probably is responsible for making it um uh, as well known as it is um but um since i discovered it um about three and a half years ago i actually start every single one of my classes uh with several rounds of that breath um, my own personal practice begins with that breath um, it's a great starting point because it really helps uh, to elicit good vagal tone which means that we're going to be more responsive to whatever practice is 
then following um, on from it. But as you uh, sort of uh, indicated, Karina, you can use it anytime. So I'll also tend to use that in my own practice or teaching, maybe in the middle of an asana class after a strong vinyasa set where I can sense that perhaps people have lost contact with their ujjayi breath, I invite them to come back in and take a couple of rounds of reset. So through the lens of yoga and pranayama, this is uh, this is how I like to describe it. It's a pranic palate cleanser, yeah. um, and it it, uh, it works really well. Um, it works so well. It's brilliant. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that's so amazing when you are on a yogic path or you're on a qigong path or whatever it is, you end up just gathering all of these beautiful tools that you don't actually need equipment for because it's in built into the system. And then you start to cultivate a sense of remembering that you have those skills and using them when you actually need them rather than just being in a dysregulated state all the time, which is a lot of people and um, being able to self-regulate using these simple but profound aspects of the breath. So good. Yeah. So all of this that you have been like rediscovering for yourself, it sounds like you've gone, like we always sort of kind of go through these next layers and, and, and moving toward the next layer is often really uncomfortable <laughs> and all sorts of things are just falling apart or whatever it is for each individual. But then on the other side, it's if we unlock these whole new, layers of ourself and a whole new layer of the world and then the world can show up in a whole new way as well and you're offering spaces where people can come and learn some of this with you and tell us a little bit about your pranayam trainings um the 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 pranayam um trainings that i'm offering so i run weekly live stream classes so we have uh, a morning pranayam um, offering uh, and an evening pranayam offering. So the, the morning classes are um, more, you know, obviously more, more energising and centering and helping us to get into, into a good space to, to go out and um, be steady and, and productive through the day. Whereas the nighttime classes are much more geared around down regulation of the nervous system, anti-inflammatory practices, yoga nidra, um, so that we can set ourselves up uh, for the best uh, possible nights sleep and uh, yeah. and rest, um, and uh, and so that that's what I'm most involved in on a on a, a daily or weekly basis. But um, I've also developed um, a 50 hour training program that I'm I'm really really proud of. It's a work in progress, like everything else I I've ever done. Um, but it's uh, it's great, <laughs> and it's uh, it, it's it's. I started I started off designing it with yoga teachers in mind, um, you know, as a as a, a common sense next step um, to augment uh, foundational training because of course there's there's not there's not enough time for for anything <laughs> uh, in the in the foundational teacher trainings. Um, I, I 
I suspect, I think, I feel, I intuit. It's also been my experience that your true yoga education starts when you're, uh, when you've, when you've got that. Uh, that initial certification you can actually go out and seek out the the teachers and um, uh, and and aspects of uh, of the practice that you're really drawn to um, anyway um, but as it turns out this particular training is really uh, amazing for allied health professionals so I've had a few mm-hmm. traditional Chinese medicine practitioners um, uh, someone who owns a beautiful tea shop and tea business, um, counsellors, uh, all come through the course um, and come away with easy to communicate, um, powerful tools to help their their clients in in achieving better outcomes. So whether you are um, you know, looking to ground and settle someone's nervous system before you start a counselling session or you're looking to perhaps give uh, give a, a patient who's on the table with yeah. their ac- ac- acupuncture pins in them, some breath work focus to help them really relax and, um, excuse me, relax and interface with that moment and and give themselves a chance to to feel that shape. Um yeah and 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 lots of parents who've come through. So um it's it's an offering that I'm really proud of. And um yeah. Beautiful. Wow. Well the thing I love about the training and the way that you're crafting it is that it's an offering for so many people. Like I can already think of so many people that I know who would benefit from having that skill, even just for themselves. Cause this whole, whole idea of what we're learning about the nervous system is that if, if you actually have the skills to regulate your nervous system, when people around you are in distress, whether that's a, a child who's high functioning autistic or, someone who's got temper issues or a workmate that's totally unaware of their emotional blowouts. If you can regulate yourself, that person might actually also co-regulate with you (laughs) versus trying to cool them down and sort them out. Well, they do. They, they do. We know that that's how it works. Um, when you, and, uh, you know, for, for the longest time, um, you know, I was using this this term, hold space. I don't think I, I really understood what that meant um, until uh, until I started um, understanding and, and, and interfacing with, <clears throat> with, uh, with these techniques um, because we, we actually know that, when uh when you let's say you're you're a parent uh with a with a, a ratty toddler uh when you as the parent um are able to self-regulate your nervous system um the nervous system of everyone in your immediate vicinity benefits from that you know via the the mirror neurons and um, there's all sorts of really sexy uh science and biology tied up in in that um, but the, the the bottom line is that uh, people who co-regulate together connect, and uh, connection is uh, you know connection is what we all crave. It's a, a biological imperative, um, yeah. and and that's what the vagus nerve uh, 
you know, one of one of the roles of the Vegas Nerve is is there to help um, help us connect uh, with one another. Mm, magical, so good. So I was wondering if you would be interested in guiding us through something, so we can have an experience of it as well. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I'd love to. Um, so, uh, well, let's let's start at the very beginning, shall we? Um, okay. And I'll uh, invite anyone who's who's listening um, to uh, please don't do this if you're driving a car. <laughs> um, but if you're wanting to to participate in this practice, to establish a comfortable upright seat. Now, that can be in a chair. You don't have to be sitting on the floor in full lotus to practice pranayama. You can sit in a chair. But if you're sitting in a chair, just please make sure that your feet are flat on the floor. And if you're sitting on the floor, then it is a really useful idea to prop either side of your legs with a cushion or a couple of yoga blocks so that you feel your seat is really steady. And now invite your spine to uh, rise really easily from the pot of the pelvis. You can bring your hands to rest in your lap. Relax your shoulders. And we'll commence this practice with a pranic palate cleanse that amazing reset breath. Everyone exhale completely. Always start on an exhalation. Come to it empty. And now take a big boisterous inhale through your nose. Hold on to that. Take a second top up. Inhale, feel the lungs are maximally full and exhale slowly for four, three, two, one. Again, inhale once. Inhale twice, long, slow exhale, four, three, two, one. And again, inhale once, inhale twice, exhale slow as you can. Please take two more rounds of that breathing pattern on your own. You can stretch out the exhalation even beyond that four count. And at the end of your second self-guided round, bring your tongue to rest flat against the roof of your mouth and allow your jaw to relax. If you're not comfortable closing down your eyes, you can have your eyelids just down at half-mast. But regardless of what you have elected to do with your eyes, can you send your eye gaze just down in the direction of your nose tip, where you imagine the tip of your nose to be, without any strain or tension, just gentle but steady eye gaze. And come to meet your breath. Moving the breath very calmly and slowly in and out through your nose. Allow your awareness to remain within the spaces of your nostrils. 
as you feel the movement of air, the cool air entering your nose and the slightly warmer air as it leaves your nose. Encourage the lower borders of your ribcage, the sides and the back of your ribcage to lift and spread as you inhale. And allow your belly to soften and expand to welcome the in-breath. As you exhale, feeling a very subtle hugging of your awareness back toward the midline. And allow yourself to be steady in this space. Inhabit this pattern. The rise and expansion of the inhale the soft descent of the exhalation. Begin to very subtly hug your windpipe toward the back of your throat in exactly the same way that you would if you were attempting to fog up a mirror. But keep the air moving in and out through the nose. Allow the subtle hug of the windpipe to narrow the aperture of the airway, creating a soft resistance to the movement of the breath, lending the breath the familiar sound and texture of the ujjayi. Using the sound of the ujjayi, to help you create a smoother, deeper, and longer breath. As the sound and the texture of the ujjayi become slower and more velvety, notice the breath itself taking on these same qualities. Moving the breath very slowly, very smoothly, very deeply and very evenly. 
remaining very conscious of the sensation of the breath. and allowing everything else to fall away. The end of your next exhalation, letting go of that pattern of awareness, rubbing the palms of your hands together really vigorously, <clears throat> feeling that friction generating a lovely warmth in the palms of the hands and gently pressing the palms over your closed eyelids. This is another form of vagal reset, stimulating something called the ocular cardiac reflex, which lowers blood pressure, lowers heart rate. And then blink your eyes open into the warm darkness behind the palms of the hands, noticing the light entering via the spaces between your fingers bringing your hands to rest back on your lap slowly as you gently reintroduce your attention to the room. And pausing here to notice how you have arrived in this moment after a short practice. Perhaps reminding yourself that that connection to your breath is there anytime you choose to turn back and look at it, anytime you choose to make that conscious connection. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that was so good. What a gift. Mm. So we will have all the details in the show notes. Uh, if you're listening or watching and you're interested to find out more, how you might be able to work with Dominique or train with Dominique and uh, 2024 will bring a lot more offerings from Dominique and myself as well. <clears throat> we combined our pranayama and yin powers this year in 2023. So we're looking forward to offering another beautiful retreat next year in 2024. We're recording this in 23, um, as well as lots of other little beautiful things that we're going to be doing as well that are yet to be announced. So stay tuned. We will keep you up to date with all of that. And Thank you so, so much for this conversation today, Dominique. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, even though I can call you anytime. It's so nice to be able to talk with you and for other people to listen in and listen to the great things that you have to offer. 
thank you so much for your time. Lorena, I've got nothing but time for you. You know that. But thank you for asking me. I feel really honoured. Your podcast, um, like everything else that you offer the world, is is top-notch. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm honoured to, to be amongst um, the amazing guests that, uh, that you've had on there. Thank you. Mm. You're so welcome. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on today. I'll speak to you soon. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. We'll see you later.